We also read from God's Word, Psalm 41. We'll be reading all of Psalm 41 as we hope to consider this psalm in this morning's message. Psalm 41. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me, when shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. The Lord bless His, his word and also the preaching of His word shortly. Before we, as we prepare our hearts for next Lord's Day to observe the Lord's Supper, we will be having today a sermon on one more forgiveness, one more figure of forgiveness. And if you've been with us um, for the past many Sundays before Lord's Suppers, not, not all of them, we've focused on figures of forgiveness, but I was looking at my record, it was in 21, 2021, that we had one of our first sermons on the figures of forgiveness. We've, we've considered forgiveness as the canceling of a debt. That's one of the figures in the Bible that portray forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is portrayed in God's Word as the washing dirt away, as erasing a criminal record or a, or a mistake that is written, and you need to write the, the truth over it. Of, of God not remembering sin, that's one of the figures. And then there's that one figure that is, is like the very definition of forgiveness, that of carrying sins away. And in that one sermon we saw many figures that are with that kind of mindset, but in, in, in multiple ways, like, like the casting of sin into the depths of the seas, and of casting sin behind God's back. 
of throwing sin away as far as the east is from the west, or of simply putting sin away, or of throwing it away. Those are all the same concept of having sin carried away as something unwanted, something you don't want to look at again, something you don't want to be reminded of. Then there was the figure of purging sin away, purging it with hyssop. That's a very ceremonial figure of God hiding His face from sin. And then an eighth um, sermon was of covering sin itself that was associated with God not imputing it to our account. And then today, this will be, counting all of these, this will be the 14th figure. And, and in, in considering these figures, this will be the last one um, in this whole series of figures of sin, figures of forgiveness of sin. And it will be the figure of God healing sin. Healing from as if it were a disease. Now notice that there's in a sense a realm of all these figures. There are figures from the realm of finances, from the realm of cleanliness, laundry related things, of the realm of criminology, the realm of memory, the realm of transportation and and relocation from the ceremonial realm, from the realm of sight, from the realm of touch, from the realm of accounting, from the realm of finances, from the medical realm. And this is the realm we're in today. Um, Next Lord's Day, we, we hope to have a sermon that will, in a sense, put all of this together and not look so much at the figure of forgiveness but how forgiveness is possible, to, to a degree we've done this in some of these sermons, but we will look at the realm of judgment. Every little animal that was sacrificed in the Old Testament, boys and girls, you need to understand this. It's, it's astonishing to think how the Bible was really designed for children of all ages. I keep remembering this to, to my, for my own sake. All of us look like books with pictures. Now remember to many years in my life, in many years of my life, I liked the pictures so much that to my detriment, I would take too long to read the books. I just wanted to see the pictures. And I loved those books that had pictures that really explained what the book was all about. And you really didn't feel like you needed to read the pictures, read the words, because you had the pictures. Well, the Bible is full of pictures, and, and, and this, is, is, this is wonderful, boys and girls. If you don't like to read, well, do read the Bible. Because it's only through reading that you'll see the pictures. So it's really a, a, a wonderful book to encourage even children who don't like to read, to read. Because in doing so, you'll see the pictures. And we all like the pictures. So we've been seeing pictures of forgiveness. And remember at the very beginning, we said, what, what, what does this mean? Why does God give us so many pictures to teach the same thing, that He is a God who forgives? And one of the things that stands out is this. God is, God is insisting with us that He desires to forgive. He is a God who's longing to forgive. But not only this, He's longing for you to understand this, for you to get the picture for you to believe it. And He's impressing it upon you. If, you. if you have a mind that is more given to finances, there's a picture for you. 
And if you are one who has a mind that's more in the medical realm, there's a picture for you. If you're someone in the realm of the ceremonial or you need elements that speak of sight or touch, there are pictures for you and you and you. There's not a single human for whom God is not communicating this reality. I love, I delight to forgive sinners. And I delight to make you know this. Because that is what the pictures are for. To make it clear. But His forgiveness is impossible without Jesus dying on the cross. And He wanted boys and girls and young men and women and fathers and mothers to know this so well that for the whole existence of the Old Testament, when you hold your Bible holding the Old Testament, for all those thousands and thousands of years, from the very creation, because as soon, well, from the very fall, because as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, remember, on that day of reckoning with God, He killed an animal and clothed them with that animal skin. And what Adam and Eve saw was the death of an animal. And then God instituted the sacrificial system. And you know what those animals were? The bulls, the oxen, the, the, the sheep, the goats, the pigeons. They were all pictures. They were all figures. They were figures of how forgiveness would happen. And it would be through judgment. Judgment to the victim because God was showing I will forgive sin through the judgment of my son one day on the cross and I I want you to know that day is coming so take a sheep, take a goat, take a pigeon take an oxen, sacrifice them when sin happens, sacrifice it every day, sacrifice one in the morning sacrifice the lamb in the evening Israel had to do that a feast will come, sacrifice so many bulls sacrifice so many sheep and every one of those animals being slaughtered and offered on the altar and burnt before the Lord was a picture of forgiveness and how it happens. It's through judgment. Judgment upon the one who takes the sin and mercy upon the one who believes. Who believes so truly that he brings the offering. Now to be true, there were some sadly who brought the animals and didn't have faith in their hearts. Those people were not forgiven. But for all who truly believed, they truly were. And so today we look at the picture of healing. Healing as a figure of forgiveness. Because we find it in this psalm so so clear and so beautifully. In verse 4, David says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. So he's not speaking of sickness specifically. He's speaking of guilt. And he is feeling so guilty, it's as if he is sick. And then he says, for I have sinned. See, this is why we know he's he's needing healing in the sense of needing forgiveness. Because he has sinned, he says. Heal my soul. You see these two things brought together. This brings to us a picture. The picture of forgiveness as healing. 
Um, now we have seen how in all of these pictures of forgiveness, if, you, if you've noticed, it's interesting how they all have their degrees, they all have their, their, their other elements of pictures. For example, when we looked at the canceling of a debt, is forg- forgiveness is like the canceling of a debt, that means that sin has a picture too, and it's like a debt. And if forgiveness is like washing of dirt away, well, then that means that sin has this picture. It's the picture of dirt that is undesired, undesirable. Well, in this picture of healing as a picture of forgiveness, then sin is here taking the type, taking a symbol, a picture of disease. You, you want disease to go away. You want illness to stop, no matter the degree of illness. Isn't it true? That's the universal reality. As soon as you know you have a cold, there's one desire in your heart. I want this cold to go away. And, and that's how it should be with sin. The moment there is a sin, we should see it as a sickness. None of us want sickness to stay. Why do we want sin to stay? And see, isn't this, beloved, our problem? We, we have a sin, and we don't deal with it urgently. We don't give the right medications. We don't take our temperature. We don't, we don't go to the doctor. And, and, and that sin stays. And then it replicates. And it grows. And, and what is the wages of sin? It is death. So it's astonishing how God's Word clearly uses sin as a picture of sickness. Sickness as a picture of sin. Because it leads to death. And what are the worst kinds of sicknesses? The sicknesses that lead to death. We don't want even the little sicknesses to stay. We want a cold to go away. Boys and girls, when you have a cut... And you want that band-aid? It's because you want that pain to go away. And of course, however it grows a degree of the seriousness of that sickness, the more we want it away. And so use that as a sermon to your heart regarding sin. And sin is in the heart. It can be a thought. It can be a feeling. You feel like you don't like someone too well. That is a sin. And you should look at it as a sickness. And it is deadly. Because if you allow it to stay, before you know it, you are hating that person. And before you know it, there are murderous thoughts. This is exactly what these people were doing with David. They saw him sick. They said, good, maybe he'll die. And David reveals that to a degree, these were his friends. When he was well, his friends were fine. He started going in, in a spiral that was downward. These friends who were looking at David only in terms of profit, they started wishing David to die. And so, beloved, learn this message today. Learn every time, boys and girls, you have a cold, every time you have a fever, every time something hurts, let that be a sermon to you. Not so much that that is so bad. Sin is worse. A cold can make you unwell but sin will condemn you forever and even an incurable disease like in the days of old um, um, leprosy was not curable as bad as that was a believing leper would go to heaven where there is no more disease but someone who never had leprosy but despised the messiah They would go to hell forever. 
And so disease is not really the worst thing. See, this is what we learn when we look at the figure of forgiveness in terms of healing. It's teaching us that sin is worse even than sickness. And, and just a few verses that show um, this, this picture is in the Bible, not just here in this psalm. Look at Jeremiah 33, 5, where he's speaking of Jerusalem um, because of its sins, but then God was promising forgiveness, and he uses the picture of healing. Jeremiah 33, 5, I have hid my face from the city. Behold, I will bring it health and cure And I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. So there's an element of God that you sinned and I will hide my sin, my face from you. But it's almost like there's already the type where God is covering his face from the sins of the people. And for him to look upon the people again, what will he do? He will bring health and cure and I will cure them. Healing. Um, Jeremiah 17.4, the prophet prays, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. But then he says, Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. And he's speaking of salvation, spiritual. Psalm 147.3, He healeth the brokenhearted, and bringeth up, and bindeth up, excuse me, their wounds. That's the Lord healing, even in a very effective way. He's coming, and He's applying the bandage. He's he's applying the medicine to your wounds. And so he sees sin in you, and he sees it that it's, it's, it's deadly, and he, he cures, he takes that sin away, he casts it into the depths of the sea, and then he bandages it with, with his comfort, with his love. His Holy Spirit makes you feel better from that sin that you committed. Because he forgives you. Second Chronicles 30 verse 18. This is when Hezekiah was wanting to reestablish the, the feast um, of Passover. But there were people, remember, who were not um, ceremonially clean. And notice how he speaks of their cleansing. Um, for a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, Then it says, And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. And the word healed means he made them healthy, which means he forgave them. You see, their healing is being put for forgiveness. It's where where the figure is being used as the very essence of forgiveness itself. And Matthew Henry says this, he says, Sin is the sickness of the soul. Pardoning mercy heals it. Renewing grace heals it. And his spiritual healing, we should be, and this spiritual healing, we should be more earnest for than for bodily health. Now, there are two errors to avoid. Before we go to our second point, we, and, and, and just to, to announce, we, we're looking at the picture of forgiveness. We, we will look at the proof, and thirdly, the portrait. And so here's still about the picture. There, there are two errors to be taken care of. Uh, we, we need to be careful to avoid two errors. They are two extremes. 
and you have known them. Um, we see them in the Bible. Maybe you may have committed them. But they, they are very, very common in the Christian realm especially, but also among unbelievers who have a superstitious mind or believe to some degree in the spiritual, but they're all confused. There are two errors. One is um, the mistake of associating every sickness with sin. And, and, and not just seeing it as a figure that makes us think of sin and be careful about sin, but they see somebody with a certain sickness and they think, of course, there must be a sin associated. That's one error. The other error is to disassociate every sickness with sin and not think that there's any connection. And so, just to give a little clarity about each of these, how do we know that those are errors? Well, because God's Word gives us examples of people who have erred in this way and gives us caution not to do the same. So the classic example of the first mistake of associating every suffering, every sin, with every sickness with a specific sin. That is what the friends of Job did to him. Remember, we are told that this was a righteous man. We know that his suffering is not coming as a discipline of the way of life he was living. But his friends do make him believe and they impress upon him. They accuse him. They, they give one, um, um, one, one speech after another trying to convince Job that all he needs to do is repent they give suggestions of sins that he may have committed. But we know that they are wrong. We know that they're actually just adding to his suffering. That was one more of his sufferings were his friends who were absolutely um, making him sorrowful. Another example in the Bible is, remember that man who was born blind and the disciples asked Jesus if he was blind because of his own sin or his parents' sin. Showed that the disciples always made those associations. And Jesus said, neither. He's not blind because of sin. He's blind, remember, he said, for the glory of God. And Jesus proceeded in healing him. And then there was glory given to God. And so Jesus made clear that we should never do that association immediately. Now the second mistake, like I said, is those who make absolutely no association to every single situation. And, and we know that we can't do that either because God's Word gives examples where certain maladies, certain sufferings are directly connected to a sin or a group of sins. And I'll just give a couple examples. This is from John 5.14. Remember, when Jesus heals that man who is paralyzed by the pool of Bethesda, after he meets that man in the multitude, he says to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And, and of course, there's the implying here that his paralysis was connected to some sin. And Jesus was saying, Well, now be careful. Sin no more, because something worse can happen. The grammar here indicates that this man was a man who had to understand that that was an element of God's discipline upon him. And yet you see the Lord Jesus coming and cleansing him and, and 
making him well, even without having to enter the water. He was cleansed spiritually. Then another example comes from the letter of James. And and I want to read a portion here. Um, This is in the New Testament also, in James 5, verse 13. I'm going to read about four verses here. In verse 13 of James 5, James says, If any among you, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, happy, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This anointing with oil in the name of the Lord and in, in, in what I've studied about this, in those days it was in essence the pastor, the elder, going beyond his ministry that was pastoral and bringing whatever, whatever medication he could to show his love for that person. And in those days, oil was one such thing. And that was a way of showing, look, I don't come here just with prayer. I come also with mercy. I come with deed along with the word. And so there would be this anointing with oil. And in verse 15 it says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. But then he adds this, And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And what's implied here is that there's a possibility that that sickness was also connected to sin. And in this time of confession, the Lord would also bring healing and would bring comfort. Verse 16 continues, Confess your faults one to another and pray one to another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And, and notice the, the, the whole realm, even though it's saying the possibility that some sickness may be connected to sin, notice how positive this is, how encouraging this is. It, it is all in the motivation of if you do have an illness, take advantage of that moment to be near to the Lord and ask forgiveness for whatever there may be. And every time I've seen this passage and I'm thinking of my own whenever I've, I've had colds or, or, or other illnesses and flus, inevitably it makes you meditate and say, Lord, do, do forgive me. I, maybe I spoke to a child how I shouldn't have. And this is making me meditate about how I should be, how I should love my wife, how I should be as a pastor, how I should be as a Christian. And there may be nothing specific, but it's always a good moment to meditate upon how we're living And the positive element, that there will be healing, that there will be cleansing, that there will be forgiveness. And this, this brings us back to Psalm 41. This forgiveness is what David is saying he wants most. So there there are two things happening here in this psalm in terms of sickness. There's a spiritual realm of sickness where where he says um, in verse 4, Heal my soul, for I have sinned. See, he's not saying heal my body because I'm hurting. He says heal my soul, for I have sinned. So this is the realm of spiritual sickness. He's feeling sick spiritually. But there's clearly the realm of physical sickness because he says um, about these very people who, who are against him and who are devising his hurt. Look at verse 8. 
This is what they say. An evil disease, say they, cleaves fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. And so notice what's happening is these people are not only committing the sin of that first mistake that I spoke of, of thinking that a sin, a sickness, is connected with a sin. They're not just doing that immediately, but they're also using it as a taunt and as a mockery of David. And this, of course, hurts his heart and makes him feel spiritually sick. But it seems like he's also physically sick. Because they're saying, you know, that disease that you have, David, it's probably because of your sin. And they're hoping secretly maybe he'll die and we won't have to be his subjects anymore. So this is going on in this psalm. And this explains why it starts as it does. So, so we go now with this theme of sickness in this psalm and David desiring forgiveness for his sins, but also saying, Lord, look what they say about the sickness that I feel. Notice how the psalm starts. He says, Blessed is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou will make his bed in his sickness. And then he says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul. So see, he he says, blessed is the man who considers the poor. And later as we read the psalm, we realize this is who David is. He is in a state of poverty, in a spiritual poverty because of his sickness, both spiritual and physical. And he has these enemies who are persecuting him. And he's saying, remember the poor. Because God remembers the poor. But also... Because, beloved, if we're honest, you and I, when we are feeling the guilt of our sins, and when, our, when we're feeling the separation from the Lord because we have rebelled against Him, we have offended Him, and then if, lo and behold, sickness also hits, and we're now feeling physically debilitated, and, God forbid... Somebody might look at you or talk to a friend and you catch wind that they're talking that maybe you're suffering because you deserve it. You're going to feel poor. You're going to feel needy. And David is making all of us think. Remember the poor. And he's thinking of poor that you see, a dejected person. There is that concept. You're looking at somebody who has no home. He has nowhere to lay. Maybe it's because he drank. Maybe it's because of drugs. Whatever it is. But he's needy. Don't dare forget that they exist. Because you and I are needy. And when we realize that we've offended our Lord and we're sensitive to the fact that we, we have grieved Him and we have sinned, so we're, we're diseased spiritually. The more we feel this poverty, the more we'll be encouraged that yes, maybe some here in this world do forget to consider the poor, but God doesn't. And look what He says, beloved. This, I believe this is one of the greatest comfort to whether you feel sick spiritually 
or sick physically. Because remember, these two things were happening to David. And he says this in verse, in verse 3 is this great, great blessing. Circle this verse. Use it when you know someone who is unwell. Use it for your own soul when you're not unwell, spiritually or physically. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. He's talking about the poor. To be mindful of him. The Lord will bless him. What will the Lord do? He will bless him in the bed of languishing. Thou will make, thou God, you will make all his bed in his sickness. You will make his bed in his sickness. All of the nurses who are among us and all of the mothers who have stood beside their sons or daughters who were ill many hours in the bed, you know what this means. You know what beautiful picture this is of making the bed of someone who is sick, someone who can't move and must be moved. Um, the word of, of making the bed, make the bed, is the idea of turning the bed. And in those days, they didn't have, of course, mattresses so elaborate as ours. So as one side would get padded and tough, they would just move the person to the side, turn that mattress over, put the person back on, and it would be a little more comfortable now that it was turned. And God is here condescending with this picture. I will make your bed. I will make it comfortable for you. This, this leads us to the proof. What I mean about the proof is this. In this picture, that forgiveness is healing. And sin is like sickness. God provides for the suffering believer who's wanting relief from his sins because he feels sick. His guilt makes him heavy. And there may be others who are taunting. And he is just dejected. And he is in a, maybe physically in a bed of ailment or in a spiritual sense. God is saying, I will be your nurse. I will comfort you. I will make all your bed you notice what it says? For, for, um, Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness, from the pillow to the toe. Every part of you that is lying down and those bruises are being formed, I will be the one to make your bed. I will comfort you. I will be there beside you. I will take care of you. I will be your nurse. That's what God is saying. It's such a beautiful picture. Spurgeon says this, The everlasting arms shall stay up his soul as friendly hands and downy pillows stay up the body of the sick. How tender and sympathizing is this image. How near it brings our God to our infirmities and sicknesses. Whoever hear this of a whoever heard this of a heathen Jove or of the gods of India or China, this is language peculiar to the God of Israel. He it is who deigns to become nurse and attendant upon good men. 
Divine love is the noblest stimulant for a languishing patient. It makes the soul strong as a giant. Even when aching bones are breaking through the skin, no physician like the Lord, no tonic like His promise, no wine like His love. Thou will make all His bed in His sickness. Thomas Watson said this, Sure, that bed must need be soft, which God will make. Now again, think of mothers and think of nurses and don't you learn and don't you study ways to make your little patient or a big one comfortable. And when you see him smiling or her smiling, it makes you um, blessed. Well, this is the picture we have of God making beds. And when he does... See, when you are in your sorrow because of your sin and you apply like, like David, Lord, heal me, cleanse me. I need to be healed from this disease called sin. And then when you feel the comfort, when you feel his presence, he gives a proof. You're healed. You're forgiven. I think of proof because of how Jesus speaks of it. Remember, he, he receives that man paralyzed with the four friends, lowering the man. The man is there because of his paralysis. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven thee. And then as a proof that he forgave, he says, stand up and walk. And he makes the association. He says, which is, worse, which is harder to do? And, and he is proving to, to show that I can forgive sins. I will heal this person. Now, now, Jesus has done that. He has healed people to prove that he has forgiven. That doesn't mean that if someone is not well and he doesn't heal physically, he did not forgive. Let's not commit that first mistake. Because we're speaking spiritually here. Someone may be very unwell, but in his soul, he experiences that his bed is made by these loving hands. And he knows that he's forgiven. He knows that he is cleansed. So even in the illness and the affliction that may be in that situation, he's still feeling the comfort. And his body is not languishing in that bed with sorrow because he knows he's been forgiven. That's the proof. God does that. To his child. And, and even if that child is not experiencing that, because see, this is in our Christian experience, we notice that blessed, beloved believers who, when they are suffering, their minds are so tormented, they're maybe not feeling that proof. But this is what God's word is giving to them so that that will come about. And only the Lord can bring it. Only the Lord can make that person feel that they are forgiven. Feel that the Lord is making their bed. Only God can do that. But the promises are here. And these are the verses that we can speak to those who feel they're languishing. Feel that they're not healed. They feel that they're not being blessed. And we have these verses to say, but my dear friend, see, you're, you, you just be like David. Keep beseeching for his healing power. And, and this brings us, beloved, to our, well, not, not yet the third point. This is what I need to say to finish the proof element. Because I'm saying that when you feel healed from your sin, that will be the proof that Jesus healed you. But then you might say, I don't feel healed. 
I still feel guilty. Or I know someone who feels very guilty. What, what do we do? Well, there are three things. The text points us to three things to do. And they're all, of course, looking unto God, the one who will bless you to do these things. We don't have the strength for any of these. But we find the psalmist doing things that we should imitate. The first is this. Take note of the blessing. Take note. Jot it down. Like David did. That, that's verses 1 through 3. He said, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. See, these are blessings. David is taking note of them. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. That will make his bed in his sickness. We already noticed that this is David. He's been poor. But see, he's a poor man who when he saw poor people he considered them remember Mephibosheth and he saw that that man was maimed and he says you're going to sit at my table when he said that he was considering the poor and now that he feels poor he can testify the Lord is not letting me languish in my bed of sorrows he, he is giving me the comfort that I need he is like making my bed I experience this I feel this Well, take note of these blessings. Know them. But then, don't just know them. You need to practice them. Because see, this is exactly who David was. We we don't see it right here in the psalm, but we do see it in his life. Like I gave the example of Mephibosheth. He was the son of his enemy, King Saul. And the, the, the order of the day would dictate, get rid of him. He might one day rebel against you. And he said, no, he's going to stay at my table. He, he was a grandson of Saul. He was a son of Jonathan. And he kept his word to Jonathan that he would not touch anyone from his family. And he made him sit at his very table. Now, so see, David knows that it, when you consider the poor, God will be mindful of you when you're poor. Take note of the blessings. And secondly, um, take note of the prayers. Prayers to God. I'm not telling you here, pray to God yet. I'm saying, well, well, in a sense it implies that because you have to take note of your prayers. I just want to bring your attention to verse 4 again. Notice that this is not his prayer proper It is David telling you that he has prayed. And he's telling you what his prayer request was. He says, I said. See, he's saying, this is my prayer. Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. This is what David is doing. He's taking note of his prayer. He's reminding himself that he has prayed this. Our third point is, then pray the prayer. But I, I want to bring you to the attention that you should take note of what you have prayed. If I were to ask you, do you take note of your prayers? Do you write down what your prayer requests were? I, re- I remember some fifth or sixth grade teacher just saying, keep a notebook, write down your prayers. And I'm seeing more and more how biblical this is. Write down your prayers. 
Say what you have prayed for. In verse 10, this is his prayer. Look at verse 10. But thou, O Lord, see that this is his prayer proper. Thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up. He he puts into his journal, as it were, his very prayer here. He's still taking note of his prayer. But but we, we have this prayer being made. But he also takes note of his prayer. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Take note of your prayers. But then, of course, this implies that for you to take note of your prayers, you must pray your prayers. So those are the three things that we find in the text. Take note of the blessings. Take note of your prayers. And for you to do that, you need to pray. Look how he prayed. A couple words about how he prayed. Be merciful unto me. He's not starting like this. Lord, I am someone who regards the poor. I have done many good things. I love you, Lord. So now, based on my merit, please hear my prayer. No, he says, be merciful unto me. This means that he's saying, Lord, I don't deserve this. I need thy mercy. It is not based on how good I am, Lord. And then what does he say? Heal my soul. And then notice what he says. Beloved, this, you have to think psychologically what this means. And even philosophically, this is completely contrary to the logic of the world. He says, heal my soul. So he's wanting something from God. And he says, for I have sinned against thee. This, this is unthinkable. This is like, like, like going to the hospital and saying, you all heal my soul because I have stolen from you as a hospital. Would you go to the hospital and say, give me something good because I've been bad to you? See, it's, it's, it's going to your spouse, as it were, and saying, please give me some food because I've been mean to you. This is the logic of Grace. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Don't heal my soul because I deserve it, because I don't. The the whole picture of pleading the healing is that I am an undeserving man. And I am completely at the feet of thy mercy. If I deserved it, then I, 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 I I would claim my merit, but I don't. I have sinned. So he's not saying this for I have sinned as in because, like in a sense, here's the reason why you should um, heal me. He's saying, Lord, this is the reason why I need healing. I need healing because I have sinned. Spurgeon says this, how contrary is this to all self-righteous pleading? How consonant with grace. How inconsistent with merit. So when you feel that cleansing, it will be the proof. But I, I know my time is so short, and I still have point three, and I, I need to bring point three. And and I know you'll be patient, because beloved, I only have one more month to be here at this pulpit. I need to five ten minutes speak on the portrait. This psalm is not just giving us a picture of forgiveness. It is giving us the portrait of the one who forgives. And maybe you have already noticed it. When we read verse 9, 
where the psalmist says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his seal against me. This is exactly the words that Jesus uses in John 13, 18, when he's referring to Judas betraying him. He recites this psalm. When he's, saying Jude, when he's saying one of you has betrayed me, he says, Mine own familiar friend in whom I've trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his seal against me. And remember, when he said this, it was right in that moment where he had been passing the bread and the thing for them to put into the oil and, and pour the bread into the oil and eat it. This is a portrait of Jesus. And why is this important? Because now it's not David anymore who felt sick, who had people wanting him to die, who looked at his disease on the cross and said he's on the cross because of his own crimes, because of his own sins. It's one thing for David to feel I'm languishing and people are accusing me of my sin and that's God's hand heavy upon me. That's different when they look at Jesus and to accuse him of being a criminal who deserves to be on the cross when he's the holiest man who's ever walked upon this earth. But beloved, I want you to understand one thing, that there was an element of absolute truth to what they were saying. Because Jesus was languishing on the cross because the Father's wrath was upon him. Heavily, profusely, unreservedly if somebody were to say that man seems to be judged of God that was truth because he was if a little child were to say mama isn't it someone cursed who is hanging on a tree that man must be cursed that was true if somebody would walk and say God must be full of wrath upon that man because the day turned to night that was true And that was not a picture. It's a portrait. This psalm is portraying the sickness, as it were, that Jesus felt when he was on the cross. He was the poor that you and I are to consider. And I was, I was shocked when you, when you read commentaries that really helps us understand this reality and realize we're not inventing something new. But it was Jesus who was on the cross and felt poor. And how, how can you um, consider the poor? How can you consider Jesus in the poverty of his sacrifice? You know, this is in essence what we do every Lord's Supper. We are considering the poor. Singular. Not the poor people all over, but the poor. The one who was rich but made himself poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And where was Jesus the poorest? It was when he was fatherless, as it were, on the cross. Where he's searching for his father, but he calls him God because he can't even dare call him father anymore. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God, Jesus was like an orphan child on the cross. He had lost the friendship of his father. He was forsaken of his friends. 
He already had no home to call his own. And he's going to a grave that is borrowed. That was one poor man. Consider the poor. Consider Jesus. He left you bread and wine to think of his suffering. When you come to the Lord's table, that's what you're doing. You're considering the one who made himself poor so that you could become rich. You're drinking that wine to remember his blood. You're eating that bread to remember his body and, and that suffered on the cross and was broken for you. And that means that you have this cleansing. You have this forgiveness. You have this healing. You are well. No matter what sickness in this world may take you, if you know the Lord Jesus, you will open your eyes in the glorious heaven above. And you will contemplate this very Savior. Now in the riches of his glory. But you will see even upon him the tokens of his poverty. Like he showed Thomas. Look at my hands and look at my side. And those wounds will remind you. That he made himself sick. So that you could be made well. Look, beloved, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, think there, festering wounds and and the sickness that that brings to a body. With his wounds, we are healed. The figure of forgiveness, of healing. Now, I want to apply just in one different way. Um, George Horn, one of the one of the eighteen hundreds or seventeen hundreds minister. Um, he he was quoted by Spurgeon in many in many occasions. He was, he was in the seventeen hundreds. He brings us to consider the poor, not just thinking of Christ and His death, but thinking of any single believer who is in a state of suffering or in a state of poverty because of this suffering and this need. Because we are the body of Christ. And so look what he says. George Horn says, As Christ considered us in our state of poverty, so ought we most attentively to consider Him in His. To consider what He suffered in His own person. So that's what we're doing at the Lord's Supper. We're considering His poverty. We're considering that He he suffered for us. To discern Him suffering in his poor afflicted members that means now and to extend them the mercy which he extended us and what he's meaning by this is exactly what Saul of Tarsus learned that day on the road to Damascus and he saw the Lord Jesus glorious in his appearing and he said to Saul 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 why persecutest thou me And so this dynamic, beloved, why should we remember the poor? If you see a Christian who is suffering in sickness or suffering because of sin, suffering of any kind, and you regard him, you regard her, there's a way by which you're regarding Jesus. Because Jesus suffers in his members. John Gill goes so far as saying that this is not the poor in general, nor even the poor saints in particular, but a single poor man 
So he sees this to be a reference to Christ in his great humiliation. So when every Christian also is in humiliation and suffering, and we show love to him or to her, we're not just considering that poor person. We're considering Jesus. And it's in that way, beloved, that when you go to heaven, if you love the Lord Jesus, you will hear him say, when you were doing this to the least of these, you were doing it unto me. So I pray that we would remember the poor, thinking of Jesus, and remembering the poor, thinking of every needy believer, and in essence, every needy person in this world, because we do not know if they're a little lamb of the Lord, that he will still one day save. And you will be doing it unto Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious, glorious God, we thank thee, Lord Jesus, for taking our diseases, for taking our sins as sickness that was unto death, for the wages of sin is death. And we thank thee, Lord Jesus, for dying, for taking what our sins deserve, for being wounded for our transgressions so that we could be healed. We thank Thee, Lord, for the figure of healing. And we thank Thee, Lord Jesus, for being as a diseased one as it were on the cross so that we could be as a healed one even now, today, and forever. And we thank Thee, Lord Jesus, that Thou art not, no longer in the grave, but ascended into heaven in, in splendor and glory and wonder, whereby we can preach all these things and know that they are true. In thy name we pray. Amen.